Well, good morning and welcome to Faith Church of Linden on this Resurrection Sunday morning. Happy Easter, and it's, it's a joy to worship the God that we just sang about, who's revealed to us and attained to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and I pray that we would eat a meal full that He provides for us. We would nourish upon Jesus Christ. We would look to Him. We would sing to Him. We would pray to Him. We would celebrate this day unto Him. If you're, if you're new or whether you're not new, we're so glad you're here. And if you could take one of those cards in front of you, if you have any prayer requests or you're here visiting and you'd like for us to get connected with you just because maybe you're saying, hey, I want to have more of a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you want to learn more about the church, get connected with faith. Or maybe I'm not sure what I want, but uh, would a pastor talk with me? Any of those things or just a prayer request, would you fill that out? Uh, in probably in about 15 or 20 minutes, we'll have an offering. That's that's not for visitors. It's for the congregation of, of worshiping through giving. And if you could put that card in the offering, that would be help to us. Or if you forget to do it or don't get it to it till the end, you can give it to me or a greeter as you leave. That would be helpful. This is Easter Sunday. Easter means or points to for us the Christian day in which we celebrate, among all days, that Christ rose from the dead. We got up this morning, and we are gathering together in Jesus' name because He got up from the tomb on that Sunday morning. And His people have been gathering every Lord's Day ever since. The sun rose this morning, praise God. doesn't always do that. It just, we don't see that in Michigan every day in the spring. And that sun rising is a signal that it's a day, it's day and it's time to wake up and live. The sun rose that Easter morning as a signal to the entire world that it's time to wake up and live. The way we live is by faith, faith in God's faithfulness revealed to us. And how do we do, how do we know that God will do what he says he, he will do? How can we trust him? How can we know that he will forgive us and not crush us because of our sins? And the answer is the resurrection. Paul told us that God raised Christ for our justification. Jesus was raised for us so that we would not remain in our sins, but would walk in a new freedom. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor pay us according to our iniquities. And to all who put their trust in Christ, the Lord becomes our sin bearer, and we find justification. Justified, that means that when the judge looks, judge looks at us someday, he finds no fault or guilt. It's as if we had never done anything wrong. Instead, we have done everything right because we get everything accredited to Jesus on to us. This is the best of news. Although our sins are scarlet, they've been washed whiter than snow if we're in Christ Jesus. If Jesus was still in the tomb, we would be in our sins, but he's not, and we're and we're not if we're in him, and we have faith in him. So hear the gospel story from Luke twenty four. I just want to read seven verses. And then I'm going to direct you, the screen will show it, and it's also in your bulletin if you got one down the responsive reading. We're going to do the, the Lord is risen indeed. 
So first here, Luke 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they went in. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you he, while he was still in Galilee, he said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day, he will rise. And so, I'm going to invite you all to stand. Would you stand? And I'm going to, I'm going to read the part, and you'll read at all and at congregation. Now, I would remind you of the gospel which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to it. Here is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Then He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers, then He appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Amen. The Lord is risen. Rejoice, the Lord is risen. Praise Him. He is risen. Christ the Lord is risen today is our next song that we're going to sing. It's uh, amazing lines of Christ's work in our response of hallelujah. Praise the Lord for what Christ has accomplished. So let's sing of His, uh, of his death and of His resurrection for us. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not write a letter and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. 
about everything. A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent them him into his field to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods with the big pigs. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And he began to celebrate. This great Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you for you are the Holy Trinity. You are our Creator, the Lawgiver, the Judge of all mankind, all knowing, all seeing, the Promise Maker who keeps every one of His promises. We praise Jesus for in great humility He became incarnate, God in the flesh. He endured life among sinners. He chose to be tortured, to bleed, to die for sinners like us. And then in victory over sin, He rose and lived and intercedes for us. And He's coming back to bring blessing on those who repent and trust in Him, but to condemn to eternal regret those who do not know Him. So we gather to praise and worship you this day. Please bless us with your presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that the Spirit of God might take the Word of God and penetrate the hearts of the people of God. That we might become more and more like the Son of God. The glory of God has come. And Father, as we're about to take this offering, we ask that you would receive us. Generosity that truly reflects how good you are to us. Thank you for your purpose. Thank you for the joy of gathering because of the empty tomb. Of others who know that joy and have been impacted and transformed. Third grade, there is a class, please.
invite you to turn to the passage that Russ just read for us in John, I mean Luke chapter 15. invite you, if you've got a bulletin, I would invite you to turn to the back of the bulletin. I have outline and I have some very important statements that I want you to get this morning and I'm going to repeat them several times, but I want you to have them in here. Note taker, it might help you as well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Easter is a is the Christian celebration of the resurrection or Christ raise, raising, being raised from the dead. But more importantly, we are here and we come and celebrate what we call the risen Savior. Think of that word, Savior. If you don't get anything else this morning, I would love for you to get these five phrases. They're in your bulletin in the back, in that back seat, and it's this. Jesus saves sinners. He finds them in their helplessness because they're lost. He reveals his costliness or his costly love to them, his amazing grace. We must repent and accept his grace of being found by him. His everlasting favor, reconciling us to God. We saw that in this testimony that Jason just shared with us. And in Luke 15, the passage that Russ read, and you read most of it, I want to read some of it and show you the story of the prodigal son. And I hope that by God's help, I can rescue all of us from what sometimes is over-familiarity, if you're familiar with this. For some of you, this might be a very new story. Some of you, it's very familiar and at the risk of over-familiarity. And I hope you see some things for the first time, and I hope you see clearly the gospel. The good news. The gospel is not just for somebody that's coming here and saying, I'm lost and I know it. You might be here in that situation. You might hear the definition that I give of lost, and you might go, I am lost, and I know it. Help me. And you might be here and say, I'm not lost. I might not be in a great place, but I'm not lost. Help me, God. And there are some people that are in a situation where they're lost, and they are blind, and they don't know it. Which is true of this person in this story. If you look at verses 1 and 2, we find... That Luke records, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. These are the religious, these are the establishment. They are the do-gooders. They keep the law. They keep it to the letter of the law. And they like to put it on Facebook and let everybody know if they have it. And so the Pharisees and scribes grumbled and they saw Jesus and they said, they crumbled about this reality. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. He receives.
deceives sinners and he eats with them. They don't like it. It doesn't seem right and proper. I mean, they weren't, the Jews at this time weren't able to practice all of the law because of certain restrictions with the Roman Empire. But one thing they were going to do is they were going to keep, they were going to keep themselves clean in how they eat. They were going to watch it. And so therefore, when they see, that means we're not going to eat with compromisers because then we would be defiling ourselves. And we see this man who says he's a rabbi, he says he's a teacher, or everybody's following him, and look who he's eating with. Sinners. He deceives them and eats with them. Doesn't he know who they are? Jesus knew what they were saying. So at some point, he looked at them, and he talked to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and my guess, all the disciples were gathered around and the sinners that were that he was eating with and maybe a crowd. And they overheard Jesus say this. He gave a parable. Parable is a story with, with a meaning involved. It's a story with usually one, sometimes a few, but critical points that Jesus wants to drive home. And he knows he's going to use stories to do that. So he tells a parable. It's a singular parable. He says, so he told this parable, but then we get three stories. And so what we can infer from this is that these are three stories, but one parable, and all three stories are to shed light on the main thing that Jesus wants to do, and he's answering them because of their grumbling. Why does he receive sinners and eat with them? So he tells them three stories. Shepherd, story of a shepherd and lost sheep. Story of woman and lost coin. And a compa- story of a compassionate father and two lost sons. You see the theme here? Lostness. There's something lost. We find, as we look at this passage, we can't miss the central character in all this. It's Jesus. Who's the one that's receiving sinners and eating with them? Jesus. And who is the shepherd who is going to gather the sheep that's lost? Jesus. And who's the woman? And who's the father who's going to receive? We must see that as Jesus. And now I want to walk you through these three parts of the story. Parts one and two I'm lumped together. So parts one and two, he gives us short little stories. He says, what? He, he goes on and he says, what a shepherd, if he had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what is he going to do? We all know what he's going to do. He's going to leave those 99. At least that's what he's going to say. Just work with me here. He would leave the 99 and he'd go after that one lost sheep and he would go and find him. And when he found him, he would put him on his shoulders and carry him back to the camp. And then he would say, look what I did. I, I rescued this lamb. He was lost, but I found him. He... He's here. Rejoice. And then he tells the story of a woman who loses a coin, can't find the coin, lights a lamp, sweeps the house, probably gets on her hands and knees. Ah, finds the coin. And then she tells everybody and rejoices. I, it was lost, but now I found it. I have a coin. Now, Jesus is building something here, and he wants us to gather, gather some information and get some categories. There's a couple important things that will help us understand the story then of the compassionate father to the two sons. First, two things are lost. 
and they're helplessly lost. The sheep is lost, and the coin is lost. And when I say they're lost, they're helplessly lost. Every shepherd in the Middle East at this time knows that he, if he has a lost sheep, he's not going to go to bed and actually hear the bleeding of his returned sheep. It doesn't work that way. When a sheep gets lost, it goes off into a thicket. It will like curl under a, under a bush and stay there and die or be eaten by a predator unless someone rescues. It's helpless. It's not going to get found apart from a seeker. Secondly, we, we find in the story, the same with the story of the coin. There's no way that woman is going to sit there at the table and go, I'm lost my coin. Hmm. God, will you help me lose, find my coin? And that coin flips up off the floor onto the table. We know that that doesn't work. That She lights the lamp and she gets on her knees. She, it says she swept the floor and she found the coin. These two things are lost, and then they're in two different places. One is in the far-off country. It's in the wilderness. The sheep is in the wilderness, and one's in the home, lost in the home. In fact, Jesus is going to start to show us it's possible for you or for me for a person to be lost, and they're far away from God or far away, and everybody knows it. There's no, no hiding the fact that he's lost. He's helplessly lost in some spiritual way. Because look at what he's doing. He's ruining his life. But it's possible to be lost and be right in the home, right in the church, right in the connect, right in a place where you think you're okay. We find in the story there's two finders, and that finder clearly takes all the initiative. He goes and he gets that sheep and he puts it on his shoulders. He searches for that coin and finds it. And Jesus, in both stories, ends the story by going, So, what's the shepherd going to do? He's going to tell all his friends, Rejoice with me, I found the sheep. And Jesus then makes this interesting application. Remember, he's sitting here with these sinners that everybody's grumbling, at least the religious guys are grumbling about. He says, I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. Jesus wants us to see something here as he leads us into this last and longer story. And that's what I want to bring to you. And that's the story called the prodigal son, the return of the prodigal. Rembrandt, a cla- uh, centuries ago, um, painted a beautiful picture. If you Googled it, but don't do it now, do it some other time. Um, the return of the prodigal of this son returning and a father embracing his son. But rush this read. I want you to see the story, and I'm going to, I've divided it into just six real quick points. And I think these six real six points as we progress through the story can really help us. Can really help you. Whether you are a Christian, and you you know it, and you've been saved and rescued, and you're His child, and you're growing, but you're struggling, and you need to understand this grace in a deeper way, or you're here, and you you know you're lost, or you might be lost, and God wants to this morning open your eyes to say, you're lost, but be found. Be found. Okay, here's the story. First of all, I want you to see the fall of the lost son. The fall of the lost son. It says... 
he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. Father, you know the the will? I want it now. In Middle Eastern ancient times, this is equivalent to say, Father, I want you to drop dead. Okay, what does a Jew do at this time? What does that Oriental culture say that you should do in this situation? The father should take his left hand, it's the worst than the right hand, and he should take the back side of the hand, which is the worst side, and he should slap the son, kick him out of the str- under the street, and say, you are no longer my son. He doesn't do that. He shows him Grace, costly grace. So he divided his property between them. He didn't have it in cash, most likely. He had to go give him the permission to go either go sell it or he sold it himself. He had to sell part of the family farm. We're going to have to sell grandfather's orchard and we're going to have to do this. And here we go. And he took the money and it says that not many days later, the young man gathered all he had. And you want to know why it didn't take him many days to get out of there? Because in ancient culture, if you did this, everybody in the village would say, he has absolutely shamed his father and he has shamed our community and he needs to be out of here. In fact, you, don't, you better not sell it to him. Did you hear a word of what he's doing? But he got out of there and he got out quick and he probably sold it and didn't get a very good profit profit on it. And it says there he squandered in a far country his property in reckless living. He is lost. He's lost in two ways. He was lost in the home and then he goes off and he's lost in the field in the far off country. He is completely at fault. He is shamed and he's broken his father's heart. He's cut off relationships. He's he, all of these things. And in fact, in ancient culture, what they would have done is they had this cutting off ceremony of the whole village. When somebody shamed their father like this, they, could, they would fill a clay pot that they would use for drinking with stones and dirt. And they would break that pot in front of him. And they would say, cut off from our community. He leaves. You see, he's lost. And see, his lostness is not primarily a breaking laws, which he did. He broke the cultural laws. He broke the law of loving his father and caring that way. But he did more than that. He broke the relationship of his father. The Bible speaks that we're all lost, that we have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. That can be so offensive to people to say, you're a sinner and you're lost. Some of the things that Jason said on this video say, oh, that's sharp, that's a file, isn't that too strong? A wretched sinner, isn't that too strong? Isn't that old uh, hymn song like language? But we're, we're not really wretched, are we? We're not really, really vile, are we? That's for the Hitlers of this world. The Bible says that we have loved darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil, even though he's come in to light. It says that although we knew God, we did not worship Him as God, but we were, and we were not grateful for God, but instead 
we worship inferior things, including ourselves. And lostness is a condition for everyone. And I want you to hear this. This lostness is a helpless lostness. Jesus saves sinners. And he finds them in their lostness. He finds them in their helplessness because they're lost. The greatest need that any person has is to see this. There are far too many people that think all is well when all is lost. Far too often, we are self-deceived and the first sight of grace is when we start to actually see our pitiful condition. If you're here and a believer, we must never, ever forget how beautiful this is. And we start to understand its beauty when we start to understand where we were that we might rejoice in where he brings us. The second thing that I want you to see is not only the lostness of the son, the son is lost, but I want you to see the crisis of the lost son. Not only the fall of the lost son, but the crisis of the lost son. Look now, so he hits a crisis. So he goes out there, he quickly spends all, he wastes all his money. He's off in a village, and we're going to learn here, he's in the Gentile land because he's going to be feeding pigs. Jews wouldn't have pigs. It says here in verse 14, and when he spent everything, a severe famine came on the country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to all the citizens, to one of the citizens in the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed by the pods and the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So he spends all his money, he's starving, he eats with the pigs. He's working for food. That's it. Nobody else gives him anything. He's with the Gentiles, which means he's even breached the etiquette towards back home even more. In fact, if someone left and sold his property and went off to the Gentiles, he is not to be welcomed back in their culture. He had a wall. He had a crisis. He comes to the point where he realized he had enough. Maybe you're in that place. Maybe you've been in that place. We all can sometimes hit that place. In fact, one of the ways in which God carries us and takes us and in our fallenness and we're lost is he allows us to have a crisis in our life. What might be it in your life? It might be the death of a relative. It might be the loss of a fortune or of a dream. Or it could be your health. Or it could be a situation. You thought everything was in control, but in reality it wasn't because your life wasn't conformed to where God was and you weren't in relationship with Him. And here in this story, though we don't see it yet, but in hindsight, when we look back, we go, this is grace that He ran out of money. It was grace that He actually had no one to help Him in this far off land, according to this story. You see, trials can be a gift. They can be like smelling salts to wake us up from our, our sleep and our lostness. So not only do we find the fall of this, this lost son and then the crisis of this, lost son, the, of this lost son, I want you to see thirdly the solution for the lost son. So it says here in verse 17, but when he came to himself, really, literally, some ancient translations, especially in the Middle East, would say, he woke up. And he realized, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants? My dad's pretty wealthy. He has hired servants. There were slaves, and then there was hired 
servants who are probably skilled craftsmen. How many more of my hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise. I'll go to my father. I'm going to eat humble bread. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and he came to his father. Of all the things I want you to see, first of all, I want you to see that he's, he has a solution. He knows he's in a bad trade. He has a crisis. He knows he's messed up. He's got to do something. And so he repents. No, he doesn't. There is no repentance in this son, right? This son knows that he has a problem. He knows that he needs food and he needs a solution. And so practically he decides that I have one more card to play. I'll eat humble pie, go crawling home. I'm going to have to avoid the village because they'll just run me out of the rail. I'm going to plead mercy for my dad. And maybe he'll train me and let me tra- be trained into a skilled craftsman. I can pay off my debts. And after paying off my debts, then maybe I can eventually be restored. The village will have to avoid what the village says. But I'll just say, hey, somebody needs a second chance here. Give it to me. There are many reasons from ancient culture to say that this was not repentance. In fact, his own quotation, I have sinned against God and against you, Father, is actually a quotation of Pharaoh in the Old Testament when Pharaoh said, I have sinned against God and against you, Moses. But he wasn't repenting. He was just trying to manipulate Moses into giving, getting rid of one of the plagues. We can have solutions in our lives when we hit the wall and we're still not running to the real solution. It could be, I'm a mess. I need that latest self-help book that I saw on the internet. Or I saw it on Good Morning America. Or I need that diet. Or I need to start, I need to start going to church. I know it. Every, I, I went to church once and good things started happening to me. Or I need to get my life straightened out. I need to stop that habit and I need to start this. In fact... We are wired naturally to pursue solutions. But if we don't truly choose and pursue the real solution, all those pursuits of false solutions will only reveal our emptiness and wallowness. So I want you to see what happens next in the story. So not only do we have the fall of the lost son, and then we have then his crisis, and then he's got this solution. I'm going to go to Father. I'm going to beg him. I, don't, I can't be your son, but let me work for this. Help me to earn, my, earn my, my way back into something. We see the grace of the Father. He rose and he came to his Father, it says in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him felt compassion, he ran and embraced him and kissed him. In Middle Eastern culture, a father or a patriarch never does this. He never runs. And the fact that he would do this to his son, not only does he run and he kisses and embraces him, he embraces him with such grace and compassion. You see, in this story... We're finding that the father finds him 
while he was still lost and lost and he lavishes him with grace. You see, when this son, this lost son, comes to the edge of the village and he is out there, his dad is out there and his dad sees him. And when his dad sees this son, that son is still lost like the sheep that was still lost under the bush. And like the coin that was still somewhere under the table, it was still lost until a finder came and said, you're helpless, but I, I, I come and I rescue we find that the father comes and he does it. He displays amazing grace. He reveals his costly love to them, this amazing grace. He, in a sense, as one commentator writes, repossesses and converts anger that should be there according to what the son has done and converts it into grace. Expresses costly love. That's what the scriptures say. Do you want to know what the... By, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Jesus became poor so that in his poverty we might become rich. For while we were still weak, at the right time Jesus died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous friend. Oh, he's a good friend, I'm going to die for him. That would be hard to do. But God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, we were enemies of him, he died for us. He showed grace. As Jason shared in the story, the grace of God, as Jason shared in his testimony, grace is not just unmerited favor. It's much more than that. It's luxurious, unmerited favor given to an enemy. And any self-respecting Middle Eastern patriarch, that man should have said, what in the world are you doing? Said he ran. And that's what God does. In his mercy and his offer of the gospel. He's running to your cause. If you hear the gospel this morning, if you're a Christian or un- unbeliever, if you're not sure and you're somewhere in the middle, he is calling to you and he's running to you. You're not finding him ultimately. He is finding you. Maybe you struggle with a guilty conscience. Maybe you're a Christian and you study, struggle with that guilty conscience. And it's not just because of sin, because, but you're in a place where you're trying to earn God's favor. This son tried to earn back the favor of the father, and he could never earn back the favor of his father. His father runs to him and, and embraces him and loves him. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that's central to us is that when He saves us, He loves us in a way that He could never love you more. We cannot earn His love, and we can never do anything that could lose His love if we have become His. So what we find here is how is the Son going to respond? What will His Son say or do? Will He say, no, Father, make me a craftsman. I've done it. I, I can't take charity. I've messed things up so much, I've shamed you. You see, fifthly, the repentance of no longer a lost son, but a found son. We find the repentance of a found son. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, he said the same words as he said earlier in the passage. When he, when he, said, when he came up with a solution, a practical solution, how am I going to get to dad? I better say sorry. But this time he just says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. 
and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. He changed his mind on that. He didn't offer dad a deal. He knew dad wasn't offering a deal. He was offering grace. And that's what God does. He doesn't offer you a deal. You can never come close to earning it. If you're here and a Christian and you're struggling because you just always feel so condemned by God and you don't pray because you feel condemned and you have a hard time reading this book because you feel condemned and you don't come to church because you feel condemned, that is not what God wants you to hear this morning. He wants to say, I have poured out my love. You are my son or my daughter and I pour out here my grace upon you because of what Jesus did on the cross. If we accept, he did not, he accepted to be found. That's what this story is about. Repentance in this case was he said, I'll be found. I thought I could solve it. I guess I have to be found. Please accept grace. Pride hates to accept grace. Have you ever been in a place where you're so down and out financially and someone tries to help you and you go, I, I can't receive that. It's just, it's embarrassing and feel shameful because of pride. God says, you've got to come to me empty-handed. That's why Christians have sung, sung songs like, nothing in my hand I bring. I, I don't come into God with that. Simply to the cross I cling. We're going to sing in just a couple minutes song that says come ye weary heavy laden lost and ruined by the fall if you tarry or wait until you're better like till you earned your favor back and so he'll accept you if you wait till you tarry if, until you're better you'll never come at all and do not let conscience make you wait or linger because all the fitness he requires for you to come is to feel your need of Him. Now we find in this story a second son. This older son was in the field. And he's the older goody two-shoe son. He's always done everything right, I guess. He drew near and he heard the thump, thump, thump of the party going on. He heard there's music going on because the father gives grace and he lavishes, and that's number six, the joyful reconciliation of the found son. And the father says, you're my son. I'm receiving you. None, none of, I'm, I would never hear of you being a servant. You are my son. Bring the robe. That's for my son. Bring a ring. That way you have authorization to sign anything on my name. Your shoes. You're not a slave. And I'm going to kill the fatted calf. Bring music. Bring all of this. Servants, let's go. Let's celebrate. And the son comes to the other son and says, and we find a servant boy coming to him and saying, and he says, hey, what's going on? What's going on in dad's house? And the servant boy says to him, your brother's come, and your father's killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Literally, he's received him in shalom. With a feast. But he was angry, and he refused to go, and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed the command. You've never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when a son of yours came, he devoured your property. And he probably did it with prostitutes. 
and you killed the fatted calf for him? He said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. And we learned from the earlier stories that it was a finder, and it wasn't the lost boy. And at that point, the curtain goes up in the story. It's done. Jesus is left with his audience. What do we do with Jesus? Could it be that I'm lost? Could it be that I'm out of relationship with God? Have I insulted and done what either the first son or the second son is guilty of doing? Jesus is receiving sinners. Because as he will say later on, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. The story began with, why did he receive sinners and eat with them? Jesus will answer by sharing the story and saying, I do eat with sinners, but it's far worse than you can I run to them. I embrace them. I make them my own. And the implication is, you and I need everything that those sinners in this story needed to receive from Jesus. You need to see the lostness, and I need to see it. We need to see that the crisis is often the gift. The second brother couldn't see it. He was blind. You need to abandon all solutions that you can produce to make things right. You need the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And here it is. Jesus Christ came to save those who are lost. He came to save sinners. And He saves them freely by grace. There's so much more I can say, but I want to end by this. Here's the gospel in one minute. The good news is that the one and only God who is holy, who made us in His image and likeness, but we sinned and we cut ourselves off from Him. And in His great love, God became a man in Jesus. He lived a perfect life and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law Himself and taking on Himself the punishment for those sins and for all who would ever turn and trust in Him. He rose from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against sinners can be fully exhausted according to Christ. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born into a new life, an eternal life with God. Now, I can't imagine I could ever describe to you what that is for me. Father, I pray that we would receive you. Father, I pray for those that are lost here that they would be found. And the sign of them being found is they would call upon you and be saved. They would, they would hear in the story, they would hear in the truth of the service that they need to be found. And that your message is found. Receive me. I'm here. And I pray that we would. I pray that those that have received it would love it, would feel security in it, 
but that security would not lead to a laziness because that's not what it will ever lead to if it's real. But to love for others, a desire to serve and follow you and grow in that. Please help us as we conclude by worshiping and singing and being sent off this morning in Jesus' name. Benediction before and that's words of of blessing and of help and of commissioning to us that are followers of Jesus and and we'll say Amen after the benediction and um, and then after that I'm going to invite you to be seated for just a couple minutes of silence and then when the instruments or the music starts to play you're dismissed here's the benediction now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said,